Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day here at midweek already. And hope you're safe and well, and we appreciate you joining us as we have plenty to talk about today. We're getting an update on where we're at with these uh, meatpacking plants. We'll focus especially on the pork side. Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns and Associates, will join us. We're starting to see um, an uptick in the uh, output of these plants as workers get back to work, but it's not back to 100% yet. So just where are we and what are the projections moving forward? Speaking of projections, we'll get some market forecasting today from Arlen Suderman, chief economist uh, for INTL FC Stone, as we'll take a look at all the news hitting the markets right now and what we might expect as we go into the uh, summer growing season. And speaking of uh, planting and growing seasons, we're going to talk with Missouri farmer Gene Miller. He farms around the St. Joe, Missouri area, get a planting update for his farm and that area, how things are looking there. So that's coming up on today's program. Let's start things off, though, with Todd Neely, DTN reporter. Todd, how are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you doing? Good. Uh, Interesting things going on always with the renewable fuels industry, and we're back to this battle over, I guess it never left, but it's kind of heated back up again over whether or not EPA is going to grant these small refinery exemptions because more requests are coming in, and some have been there for a while, and now some of these uh, refiners want to kind of, I guess, use the situation we're in right now with the pandemic to kind of maybe go back and and uh, get the, these waivers from requests in the past. Yeah, Mike, you know, it's interesting because uh, we're at a point in time where we're still kind of waiting on the agency to make some sort of a statement or a policy announcement regarding how they're going to handle uh, the small refinery exemptions program after a, a court decision went down that kind of struck down the program and knocked it down to size, so to speak. And uh, But here we are, uh, you know, last week, uh, Andrew Wheeler at EPA had testified uh, before Senate committee uh, on a number of issues. And, of course, ethanol and, and exemptions came up. And uh, one of the things that was kind of tucked away in his testimony uh, was that uh, the, the agency has received requests from, from refiners uh, seeking exemptions from previous years, even those years uh, when many of those exemptions were already denied. Um, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, EPA has this dashboard uh, trying to provide some transparency on, on the types of requests they receive, how many, and that sort of thing. And uh, nowhere on that dashboard does it talk about those kind of requests. And so we, we've been pressing EPA for some numbers on those, and so far they haven't, uh, they haven't revealed how many of those they actually received. But it's, uh, it's another one of these hidden things within this program that I think probably uh, what led to this thing being made public, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, and it really, it really kind of under underlines the problems that the agency has in this program, and uh, you know the steps that need to be taken to to fix it. Tell you what, it reminds me of a lot of other efforts by certain states and others that want to use the pandemic, the crisis we're in now, to fix problems that existed before uh, the crisis. And here's a case where right. you got these refineries want to use this uh, this crisis to get something that they were wanting and you know before the crisis ever hit but now they're going to use this as a, a way to maybe try to get it done 
Yeah, and you're seeing that as well when it comes to states requesting uh, exemptions from the RFS in general. Um, you're right. I mean, we've been down this road quite a bit looking at the RFS and, and how it affects the economy and, and whether oil producers are impacted by it in any in any way, shape, or form. And uh, I think even EPA has made it quite clear that uh, the RFS is a program that, uh, you know, oil refiners are able to pass on the cost of it to the consumer and that sort of thing. And uh, you're right. I think uh, the, the COVID situation has, has brought out a lot of desperation from people, but it's also brought out, uh, you know, thoughts and ideas about how, uh, you know, how some of these, the sides of these issues, how some of these people, uh, you know, can go about maybe gain an, an advantage. And uh, this is this is no different. Meanwhile, another ongoing battle over cl- clean water rules. Uh, you had a story on this uh, just in the last few days. What's the latest? Uh, yeah, you know, Mike, there's, a, there's an Idaho uh, property owner. That, their names are Mike and Chantel Sackett. Uh, for over a decade, they've been fighting the EPA on a uh, on a wetlands uh, clean water act uh, a case for for uh, on their own property that's prevented them from building. Uh, you know, they've been fighting this all the way through the court system, and and this uh, this past week, uh, the Ninth Circuit Court out in California ruled against an EPA motion to drop an appeal by this couple. Um, you know, the government's wanting to dismiss the case all altogether, and uh, the Sackets want to make sure that uh, they, they have a court actually hear the merits of, of their case, and that's something that they're fighting for. Um, so we're going to continue following that case, but uh, it's one of those situations where the, the couple can either walk away and let the court case be dismissed um, or seek, you know, further, further advisement from the court. And I think that's the route they're going, and, you know, they want to put this thing to rest. Yeah, long, long legal battle there. Um, and finally, on yesterday was start of sign up for CFAP, the the coronavirus food assistance program. Uh, we're hearing some issues uh, with folks trying to get signed up. It's, I guess it's no surprise when you launch a major effort like this, and yeah. not a lot of time for the county offices to get ready for it. You're going to have some problems. Absolutely, Mike. You know, and a lot of these offices they're not they're not highly staffed. Um, and you know, when you look at what the FSA offices have been through over the years, uh, you know, there's always been staffing issues and and you know concerns about whether the the small FSA offices you know have the full ability to to handle some of these things. And you're right, this program appears to be fairly massive. And uh, I think it's probably going to take some time to sort out the bugs. Obviously, and it'll be interesting to see how fast uh, these offices can get some of these uh, these applications through and get people paid. And also on the meatpacking front, and we're going to talk a little bit about this in the, in the next segment, um, it looks like it, they're coming back online more and more. They're open, all of them, but uh, how much work or how much uh, processing gets done, it looks like that's increasing. But that's an ongoing challenge, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, we've had a lot of employees come down sick uh, you know, a lot of employees taking off at these plants. And then, you know, on top of that, we've seen a lot of those security measures taken by a lot of them. And uh, so it, it does change the, the way the plants operate uh, dramatically. And, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things I think uh, it will it will get back to 100%, but I, I do think this is going to be a long road back. But just to have them open and producing, I think, is a, is a really good thing. 
Yep. Update coming up on that in our next segment. Todd, good to talk with you. Take care. All right. Thank you, Mike. All right. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Up next, we'll talk about pork packing plants. Where are we at as far as uh, the production levels and what can we expect moving forward? Look at the impact on the markets and the pork availability to consumers. We'll talk about all that with Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns & Associates, next on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We're joined again by Steve Meyer, economist for Kearns and Associates, as we get another update on where we're at with the pork packing plants. Steve, thanks for joining us. Um, what capacity are we at now? What level are we uh, producing, getting um, meat processed and out to consumers? Well, Mike, we've made some steady progress last week. We had a little setback on Friday, but that was a planned shutdown at Worthington, Minnesota for an equipment installation. They they were going to close Friday and then use four days to get this equipment in. So that one had nothing to do with coronavirus. But we were a little bit below eight, below 19% on idle capacity yesterday. That's the best number we've seen. Um, so the progress is steady, but it's going to be slow from here on. Um, the the easy ones are done, and now we're into the situation where we kind of have to grind higher, and and we get a few setbacks. We've had some problems at uh, two or three plants that really hadn't seen problems in the last few days, and and that's going to be happening. We're, we'll we'll have that happen, but I, I think we're going to make pretty slow progress from here for the next uh, month or so on this thing, and. I'm still I'm still hoping we can get down to five percent, but we're having a lot of challenges at the big double shifted plants, and they represent a pretty pretty large chunk of the capacity out there. So if they have trouble getting five percent, then it's going to be hard to get the, the the overall average down to that level. We hear about the steps being taken within plants, more distancing, and uh, that slowing down the lines. Uh, so what is the realistic uh, level we can get to under these new conditions? Well, it's going to vary plant to plant. I mean, different different plants have more space or less space. They have different configurations. You know, that's one of the challenges I think the double shift plants face is they have a lot more people involved first, so that, that's, that's a challenge in itself. And you have one group of people leaving when another group of people is arriving, and you have less cleanup time. Uh, you know, because of that, and so that's one of the real challenges on this. Um, you know, I'm still hoping we get down to five, and we need to get to five because if we don't get to five percent uh, within five percent of where we were before, then there will be very few weeks in which we can kill all of the available hogs uh, this summer. We've got a backlog of over two million head right now, and I, I'm, I. I and, I apologize to anybody if this sets back, but I just don't see any way we're going to get ahead of this enough to make a real dent in that backlog. Um, you know, there's some folks who said, well, if I can just hold them steady and feed them, then they don't get too big. Well, they don't get too big, but if you still don't have a place to slaughter them, we're still in trouble. And collectively, when we put everybody together doing that, I still don't find a place where we can take all the pigs. And um, I hate saying that, and I hate the implications of it, but uh, I don't see a way around the numbers. 
I was going to ask you about the backlog. Two million head. Is that going up or down that number? It's going up. It's going up. We're still yeah. we're still not slaughtering all the hogs that are available, and that means that uh, now, as I think I may have said it last week, the first way of getting out of a hole is stop digging, and we're not stopping. We we can't we can't stop digging. It's not it's not that we don't want to. Uh, we can't. The pigs are there, and we don't have enough place to go with them to to get them processed, and so uh, they have to stay there. The backlog is still growing. We're talking with Kearns and Associates economist Steve Meyer, looking at the pork packing plant issues. Uh, so, Steve, we get these workers back in there, but of course, that there's no guarantee they're not going to get sick. So, it's kind of a, a constant uh, issue, right? I mean, workers coming and going, and uh, as you said. Uh, you may not always get the, the cleanup time, a lot of cleanup time in between, so there's going to be constant challenges, it would seem. Well, there are, and, and let's remember that um, the packing plant isn't the only place that the, these folks see each other and mingle and, and, and are, are close to each other. Um, in many cases, they live in the same areas. They live in the same towns. They might even live in the same apartment complexes. Some of them share houses, and so there's a lot of interaction here now. Now, we don't know exactly how the antibodies and the immunity to this this virus is going to play out. So, will we have uh, you know, will we have rebreaks? Will you know uh, there there are some people that don't have any immunities to this, and they may uh, you know uh, if you have a positive that comes or even in the homes at home uh, that uh, can infect some of those folks. Now, the plants themselves are checking people uh, as they arrive for work. If there's any fever or anything, they send them home. Uh, they're doing everything I think they, they can to keep that from happening, but I don't think there are any, any guarantees on that, Mike. And so if that's the case, then we're going to be dealing with this, you know, I would say until you get everyone immune or until we get a vaccine developed. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, that's one of the other reasons I'm afraid we don't get back to 5%. I, I think we're going to kind of have kind of rolling problems on this. So you're looking, producers are looking at uh, euthanization of a lot of animals. Where does that stand right now? That's a whole different, there are all kinds of challenges there, uh, financial, emotional, yeah. the the physical problem, the you know, the disposal of the animals. Uh, what are you hearing there? Well, we know that we've got some state programs that are up and running. Minnesota's had a couple of sites that they've developed that uh, are, you know, taking euthanized hogs, they're grinding them and put them, putting them into compost uh, uh, on surface composting. Uh, that's a that's a terrific disposal method, but you're talking about a lot of biomass here, so it's going to take uh, a lot of space and a lot of uh, a lot of wood shavings and that kind of thing. So it has to be well coordinated. Uh, Iowa is going to do the same thing with some sites, and Iowa just announced that they're going to have some uh, some disposal compensation, I think it was 40 bucks a head or something like that um, uh, for producers in Iowa. Um, we probably will hear more of this in other states. We've had we've kind of had radio silence out of the eastern corn belt and with no kind of word coming out of there, uh, they had two big plants down for multiple weeks in Delphi and Logansport. and so I would think there's some folks that are in a bind there as well. Um, you know, we know that the North Carolina plants have run below and, you know, the Tar Heel plant uh, hasn't run near capacity for uh, well over a month now. And that that plant is so big that it backs up a lot of hogs pretty quickly if it's not running at capacity. So 
or near capacity at normal operating levels, let's put it that way. So this disposal thing is being coordinated mainly by states, state veterinarians. Um, it's going to vary from state to state whether there's compensation. There's no federal compensation uh, that we're aware of. There has been some proposals of that, but nothing has been decided yet. And so um, you're kind of on your own on it, I'm afraid, other than what the states are doing. And that is that is some big help. But uh, if you're in that position, you need to contact your state pork producer association and get their counsel on this and find out what's available. I think that's the best advice I can give somebody that's facing this tough decision. Steve, finally, what's your market outlook? What what are we expecting for the hog market as we head to summer? Well, <laughs> the, the you know. It, Frequently over the last few years, somebody would say, what's the price of pigs? And I would answer, which pigs? And I think that's really the, the case right now. Uh, you've got, a, you've got a, a negotiated market that's whatever the packer chooses to pay, and there's more pigs out there than what they need, and so uh, you know they can choose whatever number they want that's been in the high 30s and bumping $40, maybe a little over 40 And so I think that's going to kind of stay where it is. The cutout value has come back down to earth again a bit, but it's still in the 90s. That's a very good cutout value. I think demand is excellent for this product. Now, we got to remember we're producing about 20% less than we normally would in this circumstance. Uh, but still, uh, those prices are good, and so hogs that are priced off of that are, are you know, if you're getting 90% of a $100 cutout value, you're getting 90 bucks. So that's that's a vastly different price than what the negotiated the average is hanging in here at about 70 and we think i think that's going to be kind of move sideways here as we go through the summer maybe a little lower as we bring plants back up and put put supply on the market i think the key here is going to be the relative timing of increased slaughter versus increased demand from the from the food service sector if those kind of match up then we can keep this cutout value somewhere, you know, north of $80, and that would certainly be supported to hog prices as we go through the summer. We think probably the fourth quarter has been helped some by uh, destruction of baby pigs and some sows being aborted. Um, that's probably going to push hog prices higher, and I think the fourth quarter is probably going to be better in the summer as, as, as I look at it right now. All right, very interesting. Steve, always good information. Thank you for the update. We appreciate it. Take care. You're welcome, Mike. Thanks. Good day. All right, Steve Meyer, economist for Kearns and Associates. And again, as he said, a 2 million head backlog on hogs because of the slowdown in the processing plants. Uh, real challenges uh, for a while yet for pork producers. It's going to take a while to work through that. And you heard him uh, say the, the challenges that they're dealing with, with uh, the disposing of those animals, the euthanization process, very, very difficult. All right, we'll talk more about markets coming up next with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with INTL FC Stone. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And we welcome back Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with INTL FC Stone. Arlen, good to talk with you again. We just uh, talked in the last segment with Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns and Associates. He said there's a two million head backup, two million hogs backed up because of the slowdown in the uh, the, the packing plants. That's a lot of hogs to work through. It's going to take a while. 
Yeah, we'd actually put it a little bit higher than that and uh, a million head of cattle. So it's going to take a while, like you said, and uh, it's going to be affecting our markets. If you look at when profitability might return to the hog industry, we generally think around uh, $62 a head is kind of the benchmark of getting things back in the balance of break even. So if you look at what the futures market is telling us, you have to go all the way out uh, really to next April um, before you see futures trading above that level. So that means it's going to take us a while to get things. We are slaughtering sows at about 11-year high in the latest data, so we are contracting the size of the herd. Um, but one of the questions is whether we'll get the uh, domestic demand back. How quickly will that come back after we've done some rationing? Yeah, I was going to ask you because, you know, Memorial Day, the unofficial start of summer, and that's usually a big uh, barbecue uh, holiday, and we we see kind of an uptick in demand. Do we know yet uh, what we uh, what kind of levels we reached uh, this uh, Memorial Day? No, we really don't yet. Um, it's going to take a few days for that to come in. Um, we know it was impacted, I mean, because many states restricted what could be done on Memorial Day. And uh, so that did tend to squelch things. And, uh, you know, Memorial Day weekend's known for being outdoors, so um, <clears throat> that kind of offsets a little bit of the lost restaurant business, but we still know from the last cold storage report that the lack of restaurant business is really hurting our demand from some of those typical uh, retail cuts that we see served in the food services. Let's switch over now to the uh, planting numbers. They're very high, uh, especially compared to a year ago, obviously. But we know in some cases there's going to have to be some replanting done, and uh, weather isn't uh, hasn't been completely favorable to get all that done. So uh, overall, though, do the markets still look at this? Wow, this means we're we're on track for a big crop. Uh, they really do. They see USDA print of nearly a 16 billion bushel crop, and you look at uh, crop ratings uh, of, uh, of showing good to excellent conditions, uh, right around 70%. That's fairly close to normal for this time of year. Uh, even Illinois, where we've seen a lot of reports of ponding and flooding, going to have to uh, replant and stuff, we're looking at 55% uh, good to excellent, but that's not enough to pull us down nationally when Minnesota's at 81%, Iowa's at 81%, uh, Nebraska's at 82%. uh, Those are several big production states, and so the trade's idea is, well, we have some problems somewhere every year, Um, so we focus on the national, and the national numbers are good, Um, and unfortunately that overshadows the problems that are ongoing in North Dakota. Yeah, they've made some progress, but still a lot of challenges. Really are, and uh, we're going to see quite a bit of prevent plant in North Dakota. Um, but again, the answer to that, to the, from the marketplace, is well, we have some prevent plants someplace every year, um, and so you know, unless it starts topping several million acres. Um, nationally, the market's not going to get too concerned about it when it's projecting a 3.3 billion bushel carryout right now. It's got to see prevent plant a lot bigger than than what we're going to see in North Dakota, and we're going to see a little bit in the eastern Midwest as well. But it's just not enough to get the market too excited right now. Unfortunately, for those who are suffering the problems, what's expected of those prevent plant acres from last year that do get planted this year? What is their the production expectation for that land is that 
differ from where it was before the flooding of last year? Yeah, it's, it's really, again, going to depend on the type of soil and the situation and how well they were able to rehabilitate that soil. Uh, obviously, some soils, um, by the time they got the crop out, deep ruts and trying to re- rehab that soil, you're not going to have a very good seed bed. Uh, others were able to do a little bit better depending on where they were at and when they were able to get in and how much time they've had for rehab. So that's going to vary considerably. But overall, we would expect some lower production from those soils that they had trouble rehabbing. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. We also have this, uh, again, this cloud, the China situation hanging over. Uh, now, they've been making purchases, but the, the rhetoric between the U.S. and China has not always been very positive. Uh, has to make be, it does make people wonder, what's the uh, future of this trade deal? Is it going to play out positively, or are they going to be backing off? Uh, how do the markets look at that uncertainty? Well, there's one thing really working to our advantage right now, and that's fear inside of China, fear of shortages. And I think we talked about this last time, but uh, some may not have been on when we did. Uh, Right now, there is a tremendous fear that the rest of the world is going to shut down because of coronavirus. That's because China truly believes in its heart of hearts that it handled coronavirus better than anyone else in the world. And it literally shut down. We think we shut down in America. They defined shut down. Uh, supply chains just really totally shut down. They had shortages of feed, some food shortages. Um, their ports totally shut down. So if they handled coronavirus better than anyone else, then it's only a matter of time before the rest of the world shuts down. Case in point, they are being overwhelmed with soybeans arriving at the port right now. There are 15 million metric tons of Brazilian soybeans on the water right now heading to China. Um, the soy meal market is being overwhelmed with supply because they're crushing at a record rate with all the soybeans coming in. They're flooding a livestock market, still battling African swine fever with soy meal. But yet there is a report of one sailor who had COVID-19 testing positive yesterday on a ship. And so one berth was temporarily shut down, and that news hit China, and their soy mill market went up three-quarters of a percent to six-week highs based on the fear, oh, no, here it comes. Our supplies are going to shut down. That's why they have thus far refused to threaten the trade deal because they're worried that the world's going to shut down and they won't have enough sources of product, and they're afraid that will create food shortages within China. So that's kind of the, uh, a, t- a tool of last resort is to cut off trade with us. Where are they in their recovery from African swine fever? Very difficult to get to figure out when you don't have data. So we watch what's happening on the ground in China. We have seen a drop in prices, a dramatic drop in prices, which would make you to think they must be recovering. And we believe that, based on our people on the ground, believe that's largely because when China was shut down, the animals got very large. It could not slaughter. Everything was shut down. After everything opened up, they started bringing those animals in for slaughter. The prices started to come down. Farmers started fearing, oh, no, prices are going down. I better sell. So they kept selling at lighter and lighter weights, flooding the market. And now that now we finally reached a point of equilibrium and prices starting to come back up. But as we look at feed demand and other 
indicators of what's happening on the ground, we believe that their production is still dramatically short, maybe as much as half of what it was prior to ASF and not really rebounded that much. And finally, back here, Arlen, do we have a, uh, a good idea of how much old crop has been sold? Have we cleaned out the bins very significantly, or, we, or is there still a lot of that out there? There's still a lot of it out there as we talk to our commercial clients of what have you bought from the farmer. Um, there's a lot of farmers very depressed when the ethanol industry shut down that they had not sold previously, now just trying to find a, enough of a rally to let them feel like they can let go of it. And so on-farm supplies of corn remain high. Farmer-owned corn in commercial storage is still there as well. Um, and uh, with the uh, COVID-19 payments um, coming out now from the, that was part of the CARES Act the, that President Trump recently announced that they started taking applications this week for that money going into farmers' hands. That just delays the farmer selling that much more. So we think storage might be at a premium this fall in many parts of the Midwest with a lot of old crop left over and trying to find a place for new crop corn. So as the MFP payments last year allowed gave farmers time to to hold on to that grain and make and wait and make a decision now we have more assistance doing the same yeah exactly right and particularly if if you're a producer and uh, you have grain and you're thinking should i have sold should i not have sold and you're wrestling with that and then the ethanol industry falls apart and the market collapses not just futures but basis as well you think oh i can't sell now in order to make yourself feel good about that you feel like you have to see the market come back to get kind of not feel so um, bad about uh, still having it and so if the cash is coming from the government we're now going to be moving in the month of June. Well, that's when weather markets tend to happen. Maybe if I hang on a little bit longer, maybe that weather rally will come and save me. That's kind of the thinking out there right now. Hmm, interesting. All right. Arlen, good to talk with you. Thanks, as always, for the update. Thank you, Mike. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with INTL FC Stone. So those planting numbers are way up, especially compared to a year ago. Now we know there's still some challenging areas like North Dakota and some other areas that are have a lot of wet area, wet spots and we're going to have to try to get some replanting done. But overall, the numbers look pretty good. Let's take a look at the St. Joe, Missouri area. When we come back, we'll talk with Missouri farmer Gene Millard for an update right here on AOA. Stay with us. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We continue with our planting reports from around the country. Let's go to the St. Joe, Missouri area. Talk with Gene Miller. Gene, good to talk with you. Y'all done? Good morning. Yes, we uh, wrapped it up uh, about oh, 3 o'clock last Friday afternoon. So uh, that was a good feeling. And it was uh, off to get on again because we just uh, had so many cloudy, cold days that a lot of fields that just had a low spot, it just wouldn't dry out. And so it took a long time to finally get to that that last roundup here. Much replanting this year? Uh, not yet. But 
just this weekend, uh, there's been some very, very heavy rains in uh, some locales. And I know I talked to a person Saturday, let's see, Monday, that uh, said they had about three to four inches of rain in a short period of time, and they're going to have to do a lot of replanting. I drove out this morning to the farm from St. Joe and, and across the Platte River uh, east of uh, St. Joseph there, tributary to the Missouri, and there were a lot of fields that were flooded. I mean, it was all it had been planted. The corn was up nice. It's probably got a foot and a half of water standing on it right now. So there will probably be some uh, later on, but it's just because of the excessive rains here we've had just this week. What about on your farm, uh, emergence? Uh, how good a stand do you have? Uh, I don't believe I've ever seen a better stand of corn than we have this year. Uh, it has uh, come up fairly uniform. It was slow emerging because of cold temperatures, cool temperatures, but uh, it really... Uh, Filled in uh, really nice when, uh, you know, as each, each planting date, you know, we rolled around. You could just see the emergence improve as time went along. And, uh, you know, I've, I've looked at most all of our fields now, and I think there's a really, really excellent uh, emergence. And, and that's pretty much the story of the neighborhood, I believe, as far as corn and soybeans. Soybeans are pretty much all up except what we planted there last Friday. So you're done. Now, last year, of course, was, uh, was a strange year, we know, and a late year. Yeah, uh, no when, when, did you get, when did you get done last year? Uh, it was into June, and we still have some, uh, some uh, a farm next door to us, a neighbor that is going to uh, try to cut off some, some triticale and rye, uh, try to build up some feed supply and uh, double crop some soybeans back in there. And I know we did that up around the 10th of June last year. So that's likely to be the case again this year. And I looked back at records, and I think a year ago this weekend, we'd had three and a half inches of rain in one night. So this 2.2, I think, or 2.4 here that we've received over the last three days have been more gentle, and uh, we just haven't seen them the kind of damage that those heavy rains did last year. Gene, last year you had a lot of flooding in that St. Joseph area. Yes. Some of that some of that land did not get uh, planted last year. Is it back in production this year? Most of the Missouri River bottom that got severely flooded last year, they they were able to get back in and get a large uh, large percentage of that back planted. However, uh <laughs> They, all the levees haven't been repaired. Uh, when you get between St. Joe and Omaha, uh, there's still some levee breaches up uh, in the Corning, Missouri area uh, that haven't been fixed yet, uh, just south of the Iowa line. And so the guys up there are still a little nervous. Our ethanol plant at Craig, which is Holt County, northwest Missouri, right along the Missouri River, uh, we're still a little bit nervous in terms of the river flow. So far, the Corps has done a better job this year managing the flow, and we haven't had that extreme bomb cyclone in Nebraska like like happened a year ago that, that really started the whole affair. You mentioned your ethanol plant. Uh, how is that going? I know you, you're one of those plants. Your plant is one of those that's very diversified and able to do some other right. things and other products, so that has helped. Uh, how has uh, business been uh, through all of this? It has been unbelievable. Um, 
we yeah we do produce a, a, a high quality product that is uh, highly refined and is approved for human consumption and beverage as well as other industrial uses including uh, we've got a major supplier that or that we supply got a customer of ours that produces hand sanitizers for example that we know that our product ends up at all the Mayo clinics so you know it's just been exponential uh, the uh, the amount of forward contracting requests that we're getting, uh, I don't believe we've ever seen before. We have people that are wanting to contract our production out into 2021 and 22. And, uh, you know, we normally do contracts out uh, nine months or a year in advance, and we had a high percentage of this year's projected production already contracted. So there was, you know, a little wiggle room in order to do that, but we've we've had been some arrangements with a fuel plant that we've got a relationship with, that we produced, uh, you know, all the paperwork and the transloading and the the shipping of undenatured under bond because we went through all the hoops to get the permits, and we were supplying some of that hand sanitizer market, uh, but uh, through that mechanism, but it just uh, become difficult. Uh, the latest change in those regs uh i think put out by the food and drug fda i believe changed some of the specs of what could be in the product uh because there's a lot of uh a lot of micro uh elements within uh, just fuel grade alcohol that makes it unfit for human consumption and so it's a matter of getting a level of those contaminants that still would be approved for non-beverage or non-consumption, uh, you know, but could be used for cleansers and sanitizers. And they're, 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 the regulators are really working on all that. Yeah. All right, Gene, thanks for the update. Take care. Good to talk with you. You betcha. Have a good day, Mike. Thanks. You too. Gene Miller, farmer in the St. Joseph, Missouri area. Well, that wraps it up for today. Tomorrow, we'll take a look at some ag economic forecast for this year and into next year. And we'll get a Farm Progress Show update as well. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. AOA.